speeding bullets. More powerful than a locomotive. Able to leap tall buildings at a single bound. Look, up in the sky, it's a bird. It's a plane. It's Superman. Yes, it's Superman. Strange visitor from another planet who came to Earth with powers and abilities far beyond those of mortal men. Superman, who can change the course of mighty rivers, bend steel in his bare hands, and who, disguised as Clark Kent, mild-mannered reporter for a great metropolitan newspaper, fights a never-ending battle for truth, justice, and the American way. Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode 31 of the Man of Screen podcast. I am your host, Mike Zumo, and with me tonight is Bob Fisher. Say hello, Bob. Hello, Bob. I'm sorry. I couldn't resist. I had I, to. I'm old. I, That's an old joke. Gracie, George Burns and Gracie Allen. But hello. Uh, Thanks for having me back. We're oh, in the oh, second season now. We are in the second season, and I know that's a little bit bittersweet for you because we move on from Phyllis Coates and uh, into Noel Neal. That's true. That's true. But I do love Noel. I love Noel, and uh, she brought a very different Lois, a uh, very different characteristic, and this is a very different Lois. It is. Than, softer uh, than Lois. Phyllis. Very much softer, and it's just very interesting. I think it's an interesting difference, and... She's even different than Noel Neal from the 1948 Atomic Man and uh, yes, she is. Uh, the the serial, the, the Kirk Allen serial. There is a funny Noel Neal when she was asked, not too long before she died, last summer or so, she was asked what she thought of Kirk Allen. And her comment was how much she loved George Reeves. That's kind of telling. Yeah, she's was not a fan of Kirk Allen. I never met the man. I liked the serial. I thought they were fun. I enjoyed them. I would put him ahead of Dean Cain on my list of favorite Superman. I would put just about anybody in front of Dean Cain. <laughs> well, I wasn't going to go there because <laughs> he might actually show up in the costume this year. I think he's going to be on Supergirl as uh, Cyborg Superman. Cyborg Superman. I think you know he's what, going though? to be in the costume. I'll bet he could pull off the costume better now than he could back then. Probably. Probably. Because I, th- I think he's a better actor now. He's much more comfortable in his own skin. Yes, exactly. He, he was a new actor when Lois and Clark came out. Exactly. Fresh. And he never and, really was comfortable in the costume. No, he wasn't. And you could tell in his performance. Yeah, and you could tell. And they got rid of the, the wires and special effects. I, I still love the Lois and Clark pilot. And one of my favorite scenes of Superman ever is towards the end of that first scene or first show when Superman flies into the window of the Daily Planet carrying Lois Lane, Terry Hatcher. And and Cat Grant just <laughs> kind of practically falls down. I think that's just an incredible Superman and Mo- Lois Lane scene. And yes, Terry Hatcher was a great first season Lois Lane. And then, as so often happens, the showrunners change and things get different. Right. All right. So before we get into our two episodes tonight, we've got uh, some feedback from Dave McElvaney. Hey, Dave. Dave wrote in about episode 26, in which we covered The Evil Three and... The Riddle of the Chinese Jade. Oh, cool. I was on that episode. You were. I saved this one because oh, you were on it. thanks. Greetings, Mike. A truly wonderful episode. Thank you. Well, we'll say you're welcome, Dave. I've been looking forward to this one since you started covering the Adventures of Superman TV series, especially since you've had Bob Fisher guesting on some episodes. <laughs> oh. I know The Evil Three is one of Bob's all-time favorite episodes of the TV show, and I knew you and he would have a great discussion of it. You certainly did not disappoint. This is one of my favorite episodes of the TV show, too, and I've watched it many times, but YouTube brought to light several things that had escaped me. 
For example, your discussion of the cinematic approach to filming of the episode with several long-running scenes without many, if any, cuts were was quite informative. I often watch these old episodes with my kid eyes, simply enthralled in the story and the action, and don't always think about the mechanics of the production, so I learned some fun stuff from both of you. I want to send Dave a side note there. I didn't notice it either until I heard it in the commentary on the DVD. Mm-hmm. So I was watch, probably watching it with kid eyes, too. Well, I think a lot of us do. I've just seen these now. I literally can't count the number of times. And once I had a uh, podcast, when I started doing Superman Forever Radio, I knew at some point I was going to have to, you know, really, you know, look into these shows a little more seriously. And then I was on an episode, forgot where we did it. I think we did it on the Two True Freaks Network with Paul Spataro, Andrew Leyland, Michael Bailey, and myself. We looked at the 13, what the four of us could put together of the our 13 or 14 favorite episodes and we yes, them in detail and that so that was a couple of years ago and that's when i started looking at these things again and sometimes i would just turn the sound off and just watch you know particularly episodes like the evil three or something we'll talk about in a few weeks panic in the sky or some of these other great 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 episodes and you start to notice stuff with the sound down and you and let your adult eyes look at stuff right sometimes yeah you can be so critical but then other times you just you're just blown away of that it's even another factor better than you even thought it was before so uh dave i totally understand the whole kid eyes and looking at these things a little differently so that's nice All right, so back to Dave. Of course, as you noted, this episode is probably the best one to see the interplay between John Hamilton's Perry White and Jack Larson's Jimmy Olsen. Mm -hmm. And that makes it special, even beyond the spooky, scary story itself. You can really see a genuine affection between the characters before either of them, especially Perry, became more of a stereotype later in the series. I'm just going to put Dave on pause for a minute. I kind of think, having watched a handful of second season episodes at this point, Mm -hmm. at least really watched Perry, I think he's kind of becoming that stereotype already. Yeah, it really didn't take him long to get into that. And I think it has something to do with the writing. But I have something to say. We'll say about that a little later when we talk about one of our episodes tonight. But there has been a definite change in Perry between season one and season two. Right. All right. So back to Dave. The Riddle of the Chinese Jade was a good episode, too, although it falls short of the awesomeness of Evil 3, of course. And most episodes do, to be honest. (laughs) (laughs) That's one of my top three, personally. Yeah, that was me. That was me, Mike, not Dave. Right. I don't know if the people in charge were thinking along these lines, but it makes sense that a quieter episode would follow all that scariness. You and Bob had a bit of a question at one point about the Tong Wars as to whether that was a real part of Chinese American history. There were indeed a series of violent clashes between rival Tongs or gangs from the late 1800s to around 19 teens in San Francisco's Chinatown Hmm. with similar occurrences in New York and Chicago's Chinatowns. Dave put a, wikipedia link in his email i'll put that in the show notes for those of you who are interested very good so again thanks for the fun listen live long and prosper dave halkar mcelvaney well thank you dave long life and prosperity right all right so let's uh take a quick break we're going i'm going to play a promo and then we're going to come back with shot in the dark hang around folks my name is bob fisher and I host a podcast called Superman Forever Radio. In every episode, I'll take an aspect of this character's long history and talk about it, from 1938 to the present day, from the comics, TV shows, movies, cartoons, 
Superman has been part of my life for over 50 years, and if you'd like to know why, join me for each and every episode of Superman Forever Radio. So point your favorite podcatcher to Superman Forever Radio. That's Superman Forever Radio. SupermanForever.com Welcome back, folks. And we're going to move right ahead into Shot in the Dark. Original broadcast date was October 12th, 1953. Written by David Chandler. I believe that is the first episode he has written of the series to this point. And directed by George Blair, who is a name we're going to see quite often as director. Guest cast includes Vera Marsh as Harriet Harper, Billy Gray as Alan Harper, John Eldridge as Burt Burnside, Frank Richards as Slugger, and Alan Lee as Bill. Now for our synopsis, brought to you by supermanhomepage.com. It is a typical day in Metropolis. Superman has saved some people from a burning building, and Daily Planet editor Perry White is angry with reporter Clark Kent for not getting the story before the rival newspapers in the city had written about it. Oh, I beg your pardon, sir. Oh, my fault entirely, Mr. Kent. I have no business walking through the corridors of my paper, getting in the way of employees as they barge out of doors. Well, I, I just ran out of paper. I wish you would. Would what? Run out of paper, especially this one. Have I done something? No, but you were supposed to. Half an hour ago, Superman rescued ten persons from a burning building. Oh, yes, sir. I know about that. I know about it, too. From the front page of every rival paper in town. Well, at the time, I sort of had my hands full. And your head empty. Listen to me, Kent. The next scatterbrain I catch around here is going to be sorry. Shortly afterwards, a rather scatterbrained woman named Harriet Harper enters Perry's office looking for Clark. Nobody does anything around here. Nobody. I beg your pardon? What? I said, I beg your pardon. I didn't hear what you said. Oh, it doesn't matter in the least, madam. Now, if you'll excuse me, I'm a very busy man. You can't be. You just can't be. No truer words were ever spoken, madam. Good day. But you just can't be. Now, madam, please don't take offense. But do you mind telling me what I can't be? Why, Mr. Kent, of course. Now, that's what I like, logic. Good, clear-cut, old-fashioned, down-to-earth logic. Well, you don't have to believe me. But, madam, I do believe you. I'm thoroughly convinced I'm not Mr. Kent, a circumstance I count among my greater blessings. But I must see him. I just must see Mr. Kent. Well, now, I'm quite sure that you... He deserves it. Madam, if you'll pardon me a moment, I'll see if I can arrange an interview. Oh, thank you. Thank you. You're very welcome. (laughs) In retaliation for no article, the chief sent the lady to Kent's office. I hate to tell you this, Jimmy, but this story you wrote's terrible. It is. Mm-hmm. Terrible for me, that is. You keep on at this rate, and I'll be out of a job. Well, I hope so. Oh, you do? No, I mean, I don't know. <laughs> I know what you mean. Yes. Someone to see you, Kent. A lady. Well, that's nice. Do I know her? No. But it's a rare opportunity. We can't have that. Send her in. No, all fooling aside, I think this is very well written, Jimmy. I'll get it. Uh-huh. Thank you, young man. Oh, won't you sit down? Oh, I'm in great trouble. You must help me, Superman. Superman? Are you all right, man? Oh, you must help me, Superman. I'm sorry, but aren't you a little mixed up, Miss... Uh... Harper, Harriet Harper. And I'm certainly not mixed up. I know you're Superman. Well, you may think I am, but I assure you I'm not. Ah, the proof of the pudding is in the eating, and I have the pudding. I mean the proof. You mean you can prove he's Superman? Don't be ridiculous, Jimmy. You know better than that. Oh, sure. 
But uh, as long as Miss Harper's taken all the trouble to come up here, don't you think we ought to listen to her explanation? Well, there can't be any explanation. Oh, but there is. I'll show you. There. There? Oh, such a nice photograph. May I ask just where you got this? From Alan, of course. <laughs> but how are you supposed to know that? Alan's my nephew. There's got to be an explanation somehow. Well, that should be interesting. Then you come over and talk to Alan about the other picture? Oh, thank you. Thank you, Superman. Definitely, I want to talk to Alan. Uh, since you have an explanation, it won't matter if I come along and hear it. Will it, Mr. Kent? Of course not, Jimmy. I'm always glad to have you along. You know that. Oh, Alan will be so pleased. He's always wanted to meet Superman. That's nice. Oh. Her nephew, Alan, took a picture of Superman changing into Clark Kent. Jimmy and Clark have just gone with Miss Harper to the apartment she shares with Alan to discuss the boy's discovery. Oh, you brought him. You brought Superman. Well, there seems to be a difference of opinion there. And this young man is... Jimmy Olsen. Hi, Alan. Hi. What happened in there? Oh, the man broke into the house looking for the picture, I guess. Oh, you mean this picture here? No, the other one. Well, let's talk about this one for a while, if you don't mind. When did you take it, Alan? The other night, behind the Daily Planet building. I take lots of pictures at night, with an infrared bulb. That way nobody sees the flash. And you got this picture that you think is me turning into Superman? Well, it was awfully dark. I just saw a figure and took a couple of pictures. I didn't know it was you until I developed the shot. Oh, you took a couple of pictures. Yes, sir. Now, uh, about this explanation you were supposed to have, Mr. Kent. Well, it's really very simple, Mr. Olson. You got a picture of Superman. And about then, I must have come along, and he snapped me in exactly the same spot. But he forgot to wind the film. Gee, then it's just a double exposure. Oh, but jeepers, it's not... Well, after all, it's a lot more likely that he'll get a double exposure than I should be Superman. Oh, dear, oh, dear. Well, if you're not Superman, then who's to help us? Well, maybe I still can... You smell something burning out there in the hall? Burning out there, Mr. My supplies, my supplies! I knew right. it. I knew there'd be more trouble. Nothing to be alarmed about. I smelled something, Bernie. I couldn't tell where it was coming from. It must have been the same man. He couldn't find the picture, so he tried so to... So he tried to burn the house down. Well, the way things are going, that sounds perfectly logical to me. Well, I suppose we begin at the beginning. Let me explain, Alan. I don't get things as mixed up as you do. You see, Mr. Kent, Alan took a picture of the man with the tulips. He offered us $1,000 before the fire started in the closet. With the tulips? Is everything clear now, Mr. Kent? And I can tell you the ending of the story, too. I'm going to turn out to be Superman. Congratulations. Well, the picture of you and Superman's got nothing to do with it. But three nights ago, I went out with my camera again. I sneaked up on some man standing by a wall. I got the shot, but the man saw me and chased me nearly all the way home. Next day, the very same man came to the door. He wanted to buy the picture and the negative. Offered us $5. And he kept going higher and higher until he got to $1,000. He must have thought it was a wonderful picture of himself. I wouldn't sell, because that's the shot I'm going to enter in the state photography contest. Mm, that's the point. You wouldn't sell. So he came back here and ransacked your darkroom. But he didn't get what he was looking for. I'd like to get a look at this man of yours. Say, that's pretty smart. Who'd ever think to look for something valuable in a waste paper basket? It's nothing, just basic psychology. That's what we need around here, some good old basic psychology. Alan took a lovely picture of me once. Would you like to see it? Mm, oh, oh, thank you, some other time. Alan, this is a very good picture, but why is it so important to this man? How would he break in here to get it, start a fire? How far would he go to get his picture back? Frankly, I wouldn't want to be the one to find out. That's why we needed Superman, and now you're not Superman, oh dear. Uh, by the way, Alan, um, did he get the negative of the Superman picture? Yeah, he got that one. 
Mm-hmm. Well, it doesn't matter much, I don't suppose. Oh, can I take this with me? It might turn up something. Okay. I guess it'd be safer with you than with me. That's if you're sure to keep it in a wastebasket. I wouldn't dream of keeping it anywhere else. Well, I'll drop back tomorrow let you know if I find out anything. And remember, tomorrow is another day. Yes, ma'am. And the day after, too. Yes. Yes, it is. He is clearly distraught when he and Jimmy meet up with Lois Lane. Clark is now in his office when the tulip man enters with a gun. Well, you have a picture I want, Mr. Kent. I like you better with the tulips. Tulips are my weakness, but not quite as persuasive. The picture, please. Are you sure you haven't got another picture you'd like to trade for it? If you're referring to the negatives that I took from the boys' dark room, I glanced through them hurriedly. The picture I want isn't there. It's here. Well, looks like you have the advantage. You're a sensible man, Mr. Kent. After all, the picture means everything to me, nothing to you. Suddenly, Jimmy grabs the print and begins to run. The tulip man follows Jimmy, and Clark pursues them both. Jimmy has taken the Valley Express subway train before the tulip man and Clark could catch up to him. Desperate, the villain telephones his associate Slugger. He's 25 years younger than I am. He just got on the Valley Express before I could catch him, and he has the picture. It's a half-hour non-stop run. He can't get off for half an hour. Who cares about the schedule? What are we going to do? I'll tell you what we can do. Suppose the express is wrecked. A lot of confusion. A lot of people get hurt. So Bill and me are there to give a helping hand. Or we rescue the picture. How can you be sure the subway will be wrecked? These things happen, Bert. They happen. To make matters worse, Lois has found Clark, making it impossible to turn into Superman. Lois, look, I... Looked like a game of follow the leader, so I decided to get into the act. Well, the game is over now. I'll see you back at the office. You won't see me back any place. You're up to something, and I'm going to find out what it is. So it could happen any time within the next half hour. What could happen? Nothing, Lois. Look, will you please let uh, me alone? Uh, where you go, I go, Mr. Kent. All right. Meanwhile, Slugger and Bill have knocked out the driver of the Valley Local and putting it on a collision course with the Valley Express. Clark, looking for a way to get rid of Lois, uses heat mission on the wires of a city burglar alarm. The bell rings, and Lois goes after the story, so Superman can finally go to work. The Man of Steel flies to the tunnels to disrupt power to the tracks, halting the Valley Local. Lois has scooped Clark on the subway train Superman has saved, and Jimmy wonders what is really going on with Clark in the picture. Clark assures the cub reporter that he should think about that now. They go see Metropolis Inspector Bill Henderson. I've seen that face somewhere before. If I can only find it in this mug book. There he is. Mm-hmm. That's it. Bert Burnside, alias the Tulip. Well, you seem to know all about him. Sure, I know all about him. He's dead. Hmm? Then he's got an awfully healthy ghost. He's right. We've both seen him. Maybe you two better take a vacation. As far as I'm concerned, he's dead. This picture could have been taken five years ago. Mm-mm. No, Bill, not this one. Look. You see this playbill behind there? Advertising Molly and me? Well, this is a brand new play. Just opened Metropolis two weeks ago for the first time. Well, if that's his picture, he's still alive. Now, what can you tell me about him, Bill? I mean, before all this. Well, he used to be a pretty good con man. Mostly in the insurance game. I don't think I like his policy. <coughs> Looks like he's still at it, too. He was insured for $50,000, payable to his two partners. And they both collected? Sure. Body turns up beside Highway 12. Bert's body. Hit and run, the coroner says. Hmm, double indemnity. Two times 50, $100,000. Company pays off. 
And the guy isn't even dead. But somebody else is, Jim. That body by the roadside wasn't any department store dummy. What are you going to do, Bill? I'm going to put out on all points on those three characters. No, let me handle this. I can't do it, Kent. Those men are killers. Just give me 24 hours. I've never let you down before, have I? I'll give you half of that. But be careful. Thanks. Well, it shouldn't take a man like Mr. Kent even that long. Come along, Junior. Clark has added a paragraph to Lois' story on the subway collision that Superman had prevented. My story, and you have to butcher it. I'm just adding one little paragraph, Lois. I know Bert and his pals read every account of the subway collision. Near collision, thanks to Superman. There. How's it sound, Jimmy? One of the lucky passengers on the express was James Olson of this paper. He was on his way to deliver a photograph to a group of contest editors in the valley, said Mr. Olson. After what happened, I decided to mail the picture. Let Uncle Sam deliver it in the morning. So that's what I said. Looks like. Think it'll do the trick? Oh, sure. Except I'm not quite sure what the trick is. Now my story, please, if you don't mind. Unless you'd like to rewrite the whole thing. Well. Well, what do we do now? Nothing. The next move's up to them, Jimmy. I hope. Bill and Slugger have since shot the postman and hijacked his truck. In Burnside's hideout, they discover that the sacks only contain crumpled pages of the Daily Planet newspapers. This was an elaborate trap set by Superman, who was disguised as the driver. Slugger and Bill have run right into the path of Inspector Henderson's men, while the Man of Steel is confronting Burt Burnside. I've been expecting you, Superman. Expecting me? Of course. First, am I right in assuming that Hank and Bill got only a few feet away? That's right. And second, am I right in assuming that the police are on their way here? Right again. And thirdly, that you wanted to have a little talk with me? Now, how did you guess that? Oh, come now, I'm a con man. I know a game when I see one. Then perhaps you'd better tell me what this game is. It's a game called Let's Make a Deal. If you know anything about me at all, you know I don't make deals. There's always a first time. Now, if you'll promise to get me away from here safely before the police arrive, I'll tell you where the picture is. The picture that proves that you and Clark Kent are actually one and the same person. As I understand it, Clark Kent has already explained that was just a double exposure. I'm not that gullible. Well, assuming that I refuse this deal of yours, then I'll have the pleasure of revealing your true identity. Here they come. You can still get me safely away. Sorry, you're on your own now. Okay, Bert. School's out. Well, come in, gentlemen. I, I was just leaving, but uh, since I have company, I... I see you branched out, Bert, into the truck-stealing business. And murder. Oh, murder, Inspector. Now, maybe you can prove that the body that my partners collected insurance on was not mine, but that's fraud, not murder. When the police crime lab establishes that your car was a death weapon, that's murder, Bert, not just fraud. Well, I thought I was going to be late for this party. Looks like I have plenty of time. Your little act doesn't fool me, Mr. Kent. I told you what I was going to do. Gentlemen, as a final gesture, I intend to prove that Clark Kent is actually Superman. This I'd like to see. So would I. What are you saying, Bert? Now, if Mr. Kent would kindly step back against the wall. Anything to oblige? You don't mind if I smoke while I explain? Oh, go ahead. Thank you. Careless of me. 
can't. It's all right, Jimmy. But he couldn't have missed you. He fired point blank. Proves my point. Kent should be lying there dead. There's the spent bullet. Ask him why I didn't go through him. Can you explain it, Kent? Why, yes, Inspector. As a matter of fact, I think I can. Fortunately, I happen to have a lucky silver dollar in my pocket. And this stopped the bullet? Yes, Jimmy. Oh, this must be your lucky day. Shows how stupid a crook can be. Imagine him thinking you could be Superman. <laughs> <laughs> well, now, just a minute. It isn't that funny. Oh, don't worry, Mr. Kent. We think you're all right, just like you are. Thanks, Jimmy. So, Bob, what do you think of this one? Anybody oops. home? Yep. Oops, I had the <laughs> mute. I had the mute button on, so I wouldn't <laughs> mess it up. A shot in the dark. Interesting. I like this episode. This is a good episode, actually. It's a fun episode. We've seen, of course, uh, the tulip guy before. He's a bad guy, a recurring character, and we'll see. Him he was in... most. He was most recently in Crime Wave. Crime Wave, exactly. The big boss in Crime Wave. Yeah. That was in the shadows when he talked, but never talked when you could see his face. He wasn't in the shadows in the DVD, I'll tell you that. <laughs> no, 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 he wasn't. But I, I like this. I think this is a really fun episode. And we, I'd love to have that picture that the kid showed that of Superman changing. So that's almost another shirt rip. So we're getting several that you have to really think about, because if you really think back, you think, wow, there really wasn't, you know, any real shirt rips in George Reeves episodes. But the closest thing we might have gotten to a real shirt rip in this show. Yes. Is when he's knocked out by the mail truck. Exactly. He undoes the buttons. Right. He jumps up and pulls it open and pulls it open, showing so that you could freeze frame a frame of that. And have a, a quick shirt rip there. There's also a semi-shirt rip in the um, in the picture that the kid took of. Right. And that, that he was able to convince the kid that it was a double exposure is laughable. That was not, <laughs> not a double exposure. No, that was, there was no way that was a double exposure. But uh, what else? God, there was so much. There was just some fun. There was so much fun stuff in this. Particularly the part, I think, when... And, and I know we're going to go through it here. But the part where... Jimmy grabs the photograph and runs. So then we've got Jimmy running and the bad guy chasing Jimmy and Clark chasing the bad guy. Then Lois starts chasing Clark. You could almost put some carnival music underneath that. Almost. It's a very funny scene, but they still play it up really well. And the fact that, you know, Clark's going to let the bad guy get away to keep his secret from Lois. So it's another one of those. Whoops. But all in all, I still like the show. I think it's a fun show. I, I give it positive thumbs up. For a shot in the dark. I, I really like the work Jack Larson did in this episode. He oh, thinks he's great, yeah. He's great. He thinks he's got Clark, and he's kind of, you know, the way he, he's speaking, he's kind of needling me. Like, yeah, uh-huh. I know Mr. Ken, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, oh, Jack plays this one really, really well. Yeah, I agree totally with that. And not a, not a whole lot of Lois in this episode. No. No, she's you, basically you, hanging on and following. But another line to follow up with your Jimmy comment is when, you know, Jimmy's talking to Superman or to Clark, and he's, he says the thing about, I'm not sure which picture you're more interested in. Right. Uh, it's, just a, it's just such a great little it is. little line. And everybody, even a kid, would know at that point, uh-oh, uh-oh. So, yeah, I just think it's a really good episode. And, and You know what's interesting about the picture, though? What's if you look at If you look at the picture... Yeah. He's not wearing his glasses when he opens the shirt. Right. So how exactly did the kid connect Clark Kent to uh, 
Superman. Exactly. Could have been anybody taking a suit on or off. Right. Uh, but, well, yeah, again, the don't ask too many deep questions. Right. It's like panic in the sky in bed, no glasses, Perry Joe. Who, oh, and, who am oh, I? The, the bedroom scene? <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> Especially after Jimmy points out that he didn't have a scratch. Yeah, exactly. After falling through the, the shower glass. Exactly. So have to give it to George, though, on his little facial acting on that one. But we'll get to that in a few weeks. Let's not we jump will. ahead. So, but a the, shot in uh, the dark, yes. Yeah, I, it's the, I like shot in the dark. I, I like this episode too. This was a very fun episode, and I like that. It, you know, early on in season three, we're getting some some new flying scenes. Yes, we are. I really like the one that o- opened this episode, where he's flying down into the clouds, and and then then the clouds kind of dissolve into the into the uh, city below him. That into the city shot. below him, exactly. And then that, then he ends up looks like he's flying over the camera, of course. Yeah, camera's doing all the moving. He's just laying there. Yeah, I agree. We've got several new flying scenes in not only this episode, but throughout the second season. Right. They had to add flying scenes that were specific to the story at hand. Whereas in the first season, and then of course later in the color right. shows, it'll be one stock flying footage scene after another. But right. In this season, yeah, they actually I think spent a little money and did some new flying scenes. Like some the of only them not really the only one from season one that I think they reused was the close up one where he kind of flies toward the camera and dives and dives. Yes, yes, they use that one a lot actually. They even use yeah. it later in the season. I get to mention Panic in the Sky. Yeah, they'll they use it in Panic in the Sky. But uh, it was in Lone Wolf, I think, or the Wolf episode. I think that was, was where, that was season one. And I think that's where that particular scene was used first was in that wolf scene because if they continue that this the flying scene when he actually you know they'll cut it depending on where he's supposed to be flying down to if they let it fly you see that he that the end of that scene he's over uh, a forest woods right trees and stuff so that it uh, was used for the forest in that ghost wolf that's the name of the episode ghost wolf and they've, they've also added some uh scenes of him flying upwards Yes. I don't remember if it was this episode or one of the others, but instead of flying straight up like he did in Human Bomb and Ghost Wolf, mm-hmm. he kind of flies up and down at uh, 45 degree angles now. Right, right. They do several new flying scenes. All of them are pan-based with him laying right. in a pan and the camera moving around him with fans on him and strings on his cape to make sure they, it doesn't go they, too far. They did reshoot the alley change. Yes. Instead of going off on the wires like he did in season one. No, now he just kind of bends down and no, it's, it's a springboard now oh oh right it is a springboard he right. runs out and jumps over the springboard jumps over the springboard lots of springboards yes well anyway after he comes in apparently he's coming back from wherever well we know kind of know where he was he gets yelled at for reward <laughs> apparently perry woke up on the wrong side of the bed this morning <laughs> right right <laughs> because he is pissed he's, he's a little upset yes and it's fun to see perry chewing out clark Right. You don't see that very often. A couple times when Clark Kent Outlaw, I think, was the name of the episode where Clark uh, pre- Perry pretended to fire Clark. Right. So he's angry. So, th- But that was just an act. This is the first time he's upset. Perry White's all upset, bumping into Clark and yelling at him. And it's kind of fun to see Clark's kind of little, whew, wow, yeah. attitude at the end of that. Right. And then the scene that follows that with the woman, the mother of the boy... I'm sure that's where we're going right now. It's the next. Well, well, before before we go there, I want to talk about how unreasonable Perry's uh, being upset is. Oh, okay. Because apparently Superman saved 
some people out of a burning building, and presumably that's where he's coming back from. A half a half an hour ago, and he heard about it from the front page in every newspaper in town. <laughs> <laughs> no one is turning out is turning around the newspaper in thirty minutes. Well, well, we have talked about this before. How quickly uh, the Metropolis newspapers get their newspapers out. I, it's kind of like those presses just must be running twenty four seven, and they just change the plates periodically. So I don't that think the, I could turn it around in a half hour to my website. <laughs> I know, I know. So, but we have talked about this before. But yeah. Perry is always upset when one yeah. of his reporters uh, knows about a story. That's even worse. When Clark said, "Yes, I know, Chief. You know." I mean that that even ticks him off more. Right. It was like in um, wasn't Crime Wave, the Hollywood. Uh, uh, Czar of the Underworld. Czar of the Underworld was the same kind of thing where Clark's in the middle of a story and Perry had to hear about it this time over the wire. Over the press right. wire. But yeah, so I understand Perry being a little upset. He's got, you know, he had a reporter right there at the yeah. scene and he's getting paper instead of writing the story. Oh, I needed more paper. That's what I'm doing. See, Clark could have done that. Yeah, and actually I found it interesting that he actually come, came out of the storeroom with a ream of paper in his hand. Exactly. Because you really don't see him coming back very often. Not very often. Like, no. does he always do that? Does he always come out with something in his hand to cover his trip into the closet? That would be fun. You see, now that would be a nice little bit of a of a collage outtake bit. But it was rare, very rare. I bet there's not three times in the entire series where we see him coming out with something. Right. I think we see him coming out a few times fixing his tie. That's usually right. that's usually what we see. But since he needed to run into Perry coming out, he needed to have something in his hand. Right. So now uh, we get this humorous bit when uh, Harriet Harper comes into Perry's office. Oh, she's brilliant. This is a great, great scene. At first, you just think, oh, my God, this is just slapstick comedy. This is just over the top campy. I can see guys like maybe Scotty V at the uh, Superman homepage just kind of, oh, this is too campy. I lost. Goodbye. Right. This is a brilliant, brilliant scene. These two people. In this scene, John Hamilton and um, I went up on her name. Uh, her name is... What's her name? I want to give the lady credit. Vera Marsh. There you go. Vera Marsh and, and John Hamilton. They are both talking to each other. And for the benefit of the audience, they're speaking aloud their own thought bubbles. Right. And it's absolutely a brilliant scene. Just brilliant. Her saying, well, no, you just can't be. And Perry's just... And he's responding to it, too. No, he's wonderful. It's just a great back and forth between these two people. And then Perry, when she, when he finds out that, oh, it's Clark Kent that she really wants to see, he's he about says, to send her away. But he then is. he goes, nope, not today, not today. He deserves you. Yeah. He and deserves you. And he counts that he's not Clark to be one of his finer blessings. Ah, just <laughs> such a great little scene to... Two minutes, three minutes, no idea how many times they uh, went over it and did it. But this woman, this actress, Vera Marsh, plays a great character in this episode. The little comedy beats that that you just go, oh, my God, that's just so good. If you if you take the time to actually go back and not not just get too annoyed with her stuff but the the fact that she well i think you could have gotten annoyed with her if she was in more of the episode because she really has only three scenes and then she's gone right and they're quick scenes and they're developing scenes and it and it does take you from point a to point b and right. you know even the kid who took the picture 
isn't really in it much. He's in it enough, but he's in that one scene. Yeah. So uh, overall, I, it's just a really terrific episode. We get scenes in the planet, in the Daily Planet, in the offices. We get Perry White doing some really good comedy bit, and we get just a great Clark Kent. This is we just do. this is Clark Kent. George Reeves being a great, great Clark Kent here. Clark Kent softens somewhat in season two, also. Yes. Yes. You know, I I noticed it for the first time in Jedi's. Yes. When he he's watching it at the beginning and you kind of see him stuttering a little bit when he couldn't take the danger, his excuse to get away. Right. You know, I liked seeing a little bit of a hesitation in his act. In his act, yeah. I like this scene with Jimmy and Clark in the office before she comes in. Clark is messing with Jimmy a little bit, saying the story is terrible. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, yeah, another there, good no, scene. Which I hope it's terrible for him because... Yeah, I, and, and out of a job. I like to imagine when I see scenes like this, and there's another scene in a in another episode where Clark has a couple of tickets for a ball game, and etc. There's other times when there's little moments like this, just little thing when we're kind of setting up, waiting for the main scene to happen. And I often think, you know, I, I really hope they were like that. I hope that when the guy went cut. George says, come on, kid, let's go. And they, and they went out together somewhere. Probably didn't happen. More than likely, it was him and Robert Shane going over and having a little two-martini lunch or two. Right. But in my little brain, I like to think that George took Jack Larson and said, come on, kid, let's go have some lunch. Could happen. Could, it could have happened. But Clark is absolutely blitzed in this scene. She comes right in and calls him Superman. And just the look on Clark's face looks like he had a... About to have a heart attack here. Yeah. And you can see the nervous. The nervousness is all over his face. And I think and he handles it well. George does another does. good job here. And he's got to fend off because now Jimmy's peaked. His little, uh, you know, his curiosity is just. Jimmy sees this photo and he's absolutely convinced. Yes. Yeah. I want to see you talk your way out of this one, too. This is yeah. this should be interesting. Now, if I remember correctly, I don't believe Lois ever saw the picture. No, not that I know of. Can you imagine if she saw the picture? Uh, yeah, she would never have let it go. Well, she didn't let it go anyway. Yeah, what happened to that picture? Yeah, she never would have let it go. Never. So, obviously, they go back to uh, to meet Alan at their apartment. And does nobody live with their parents in this show? Uh, apparently not, no. Uh, aside from uh, Grayson's kid and the big squeeze. Everybody lives with, with an aunt or something. Right. He looks like he's about, what would you say, he's about 13? The kid, yeah, I would put him 12, 13, 14, maybe, 13, 14, yeah. Apparently that's old enough in Metropolis to uh, prowl around in dark alleys with an infrared camera. Uh, it was a different time. Kids at 12, 13, 14, I was going out at night riding bikes and right. their friends were doing stuff. You wouldn't do that today. You wouldn't let no. your 12-year-old kid go downtown at night now. But it was a different time in the 50s. Especially right. this was 1953, so... So this is where we hear somebody's looking for the picture, and this is where Clark comes up with the explanation that it's a double exposure. <laughs> yeah. No, it's not. It's clearly not. Not at all. It's a crystal clear, sharp image of one guy opening his shirt with a Superman costume underneath. Yeah, but I can't tell if Alan is buying it or not, because actually, Alan is the one who actually says double exposure, because after Clark describes what he thinks happened. Right. Without whining. And then that's when the kid said, you mean a double exposure? Yeah. And then he kind of says, oh, shucks or something. But Yeah, and then that's, uh, kind of, that's kind of the end of it. Because there is a fire in the darkroom. Right. Now, the first time you watched this, where did you think that fire came from? 
Well, I didn't think it came from Clark Kent until I heard you say that a little while ago. And I wondered about it, too, because I watched this scene a few times. You never really see Clark look toward the wall. No, I always assumed the tulip guy said it. Right. And that it was smoldering to give the tulip guy enough time to get out of there to have an alibi or something. But Clark smelled it, but then right. misdirected them to the hallway. And he, and he pinned it on the tulip man. And pinned it on the tulip man. But what you're saying is that you think it was actually Clark setting that fire? Yeah, and you know what convinced me of that? Is that he did it two other times in the episode. Well, he did it to the tulip when the tulip guy had the stuff in the safe. And he did it to, to the uh, burglar box. Oh, right. The burglar box. So two other times he used his x-ray vision to look through something and set a fire to something on the other side. Yeah, but I don't know about this one, though. I don't know. Did they, did they show his face doing it? Well, the camera was to the side of him. Yeah, I don't know. I'll, I don't know. I'll have to think about that one. I'll have to go back and again watch it. I, it never occurred to me until right this moment that Clark set the fire in Alan's dark room. The other two, I can... How I, long could that fire have been going with, with nobody noticing it? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe it was a timed thing. I don't know. I mean, it makes sense now that you say that right. because of the timing and the fact, but I don't know. It seems a little careless to me. Well, the whole thing was pretty careless. Right. That seems a little careless to me. When uh, the other two, I can understand, they're in closed, confined areas, particularly the safe. That's no big deal there. Right. But, you know, the fact that he didn't, fl well, we haven't gotten there yet. But Right. Well, either way, whether yeah, he did it here or not, he did it twice this episode. I believe this is the first appearance of Heat Vision on this show. Okay. The first appearance, yes. The first time it was used on this show. Which uh, hmm. But not called heat vision. Still well, well, they never really call it heat vision. Anything. He just looked at stuff and it set on fire. Right. So they don't call it anything. The one time they do, I know they do it in, I believe, through the time barrier. When he sets a piece of wood on fire, Jimmy calls it his x-ray vision. So they're still, right. Right, they're still going with the heat of his x-ray vision thing. Right. We're keeping track of that over at the Giant Superman podcast of what year – when somebody actually says heat vision as opposed to the heat of his x-ray vision. Well, John's read the entire Silver Age, hasn't he? Yes, he has. So he should know. Well, he does. <laughs> <laughs> That's why he marks it when we come across it in one of the Giants. Because way back when I was doing the uh, the serials, I asked him when Lex Luthor got his, got his first name. Well, after Lyle Talbot played the role. Right. Anyway, eventually we do find what the man was looking for. Yeah. When they get to the apartment, Alan comes out of the dark room. Exactly. If there was a fire in there, he would have known already. Well, again, unless the tulip guy was smart enough to set like a fuse thing or have something set under the can that would smolder for a while before catching on fire. I think we're giving the tulip man far too much credit. Well, of course, because I'd rather him have the credit than to think Clark Kent said the kid's trash can on fire. <laughs> but you're starting to make more sense. So let's just move on. All right. So we meet, we, see, we finally see the picture of the man with the tulips, and we've mentioned before that this is John Eldridge, who we have seen before and will see again. Yes. And I will say this about Aunt Harriet. For someone who may be facing some kind of danger, she's awful happy and peppy. Well, tomorrow's another day. It sure is. And the day after that. <laughs> I love how she had to think about that for a minute. Why, yes. Yes, yes, it, yes, is. yes it is. And uh, that is the last time we see Aunt Harriet and uh, Little Alan. Alan. 
they are no longer needed for this story to continue. Nope. Alan is not getting his stuff back. Nope. Well, he maybe he'll get the tulip picture back. He'll get the tulip picture back, and he'll probably win. Right, but nothing else. So here we get our first appearance of Lois when they're coming back to the planet. And uh, she decides to accost him about what he's been up to because clearly Lois has nothing better to do with her time than chase Clark around. And now the tulip man comes in and threatens Clark with a gun. And Clark kind of plays dumb with him a little bit. Yeah. yeah he, he's trying to test the tulip man to see which picture he's talking about because apparently he didn't find the negative in the darkroom. He knows from talking to Alan that apparently the tulip man has the, uh, the negative, which – will kind of blow his double exposure explanation right out of the water. Right, the Superman picture, right. So, just as uh, Clark is going to give the Tulip Man the gun, Jimmy just snatches it and runs off. Again, I think this is a fun scene here. It is. And Clark takes takes the time while he's chasing them to grab his hat. Of course he does. And and poor Lois nearly gets run over by everybody running down the hall. But again, a terrific scene with all three of them running yeah. by her. Whomp, whomp, whomp. And then her grabbing her hat on her yeah. head and running just, right away. Right, running right after him. Can't see Phyllis Coates doing that scene. No, th- there's a lot of what Noel Neal does that I can't see Phyllis Coates doing. I noticed even in the first episode. Right. I think in that first episode, Noel Neal smiled. More than Phyllis Coates did all of the first season. Yeah, probably right. Because she never really, Phyllis Coates never really gave an outright smile. She was a little too tough for that. Mm-hmm. She gave a couple of pretty nice smiles there at some of the end when she was some of those closing shots. Right. So Jimmy gets on. Jimmy gets onto the subway. He gets onto. He gets onto the express, which becomes very important because Bert and his buddy Slugger are going to send the local after the express, which. Doesn't sound like a very good idea at the time. No, it doesn't. But after after you knock out the uh, the engineer and uh, put the train on maximum speed, that'll do its job. That kind of just is. And Clark is listening in. And I I love the continuous scenes with Lois and Clark, where he is trying to do everything he can to get away from her, and she st- she's sticking to him, and she knows something is up. Yes. But she can't really put her finger on it, and it's probably driving her nuts. And she's going to she's just going to follow him around. I'm guessing she doesn't have as much to do with her day other than follow Clark around. And we got a fun fact that apparently the Daily Planet is near 34th Street because Jimmy gets onto the 34th Street subway. Mm. Fun fact there. I don't know if anybody knows or cares beyond this, but (laughs) (laughs) that's probably just a train station they shot it at. Clark is still trying to get rid of Lois. They walk along this street, which may or may not be the same street we see in Panic in the Sky where they're all standing outside looking up at the meteor. Right. It might be, it may not be, but would you want to go to a butcher shop named Dick's Meat Market? No, I would not. <laughs> yeah, I don't think I would either. This is when Clark now will get rid of Lois by uh, setting the burglar alarm on fire with the heat of his x-ray vision. And this is where I started to become convinced that he started the fire in Alan's closet. Okay. You know what? If it was convenient for him, this Superman probably would do that. Yeah, yeah, probably. And it, wor- and it works because, you know, Lois knows burglar alarms means the story. Right. And... This was a nice shot here. After she runs off, Clark takes off his glasses and runs straight into the camera. Yes, again, yes, really good shot. Yeah, I agree. And George Reeves' face almost takes up the whole shot. Yeah, I'd like to see the end of that shot because, you know, he... Oh, that would have been a short rip. Smashed right into that camera. It probably would have. But yeah, I like this little scene. I think this is a fun little scene, too. I say that a lot about this. This is, you know, not one of the greatest episodes of all time, but it's a good, solid Superman fun episode. Yeah, and I I believe here we get 
treated to another new flying shot that I don't think we've seen before. It looks right. like he's flying sideways. Right. The way the buildings are moving behind him. But I believe this one's new. I don't think we've seen this one before. And then, and what do you think of this scene when he stops the train? Oh, I thought it was great. I yeah, it was I did great. Too. Yeah, it was great. It, it, you know, it was a real Superman thing. You know, it was Superman. Yeah, bending, stopping bending, a damn subway, man. Bending the rail and sending the sparks all over. That was a very, very nice shot. Yeah. Especially for the time period, being able to all those little lightning stuff has had yeah. to be animated by hand drawn right, on hand the, drawn on there yeah. on the film itself, yeah, on the cell itself. So you know, just terrific, very intricate work. Is that how they did the lightning in Crime Wave? Yes. Oh, that's a yeah. lot. Of, that was a lot of lightning to have to draw in there. I just love the shot of him picking up the subway track and bending the rail and right. Uh, <laughs> same way they do in our next episode, next show, next. The next one we talk about, the hand-drawn lightning. Right. Apparently, Lois got back to the train. She got that story. Clark is just kind of sitting there. Mm-hmm, yeah, I heard about that. Mm-hmm. Clark's not doing a very good job at reporting. Uh, no, he's in, worried in because secret identity is on the line. Yes. Jimmy shows up, and he's uh, he's still not buying it. This is where Neil and Clark a little bit more about wondering which picture Jimmy is really worried about it. And right. You can see Clark continuing to get frustrated. Mm-hmm. Come on, Junior. Yep, because now they're going to they're going to go see Inspector Anderson, who we're not seeing that much of this season. Mm-mm. It's kind of a shot here, a scene here, and a scene there. And he recognizes the, the tulip man. That's Walter Canby. I mean, Burt Burnside. <laughs> but it can't be Burt Burnside because he's dead. Clark does some detective work here, proving the photo was recent because because of the playbill in the background, and that show is uh, was recently in Metropolis. Right. And wasn't it nice of Burnside to pose for Alan in front of that playbill for us? I was thinking the same thing. It's a very nicely posed picture of a guy who was well-known as a tulip guy holding a tulip in front of a playbill that probably says something about tulips. Right. Or not a playbill, a poster. I think it's a poster of a play that is currently in Metropolis. Yes. And this is where we learn that Burnside is basically an insurance con man, which forces Jimmy to make a bad insurance joke about not liking his policy. <laughs> uh, sometimes Jimmy makes a joke and you just groan. I think you're supposed to groan. Yeah. And so Clark asks for 24 hours, gets 12, and he's still got to deal with Jimmy. Now Clark get, gets a hold of uh, Lois' story here, and right in front of Lois, and he's adding stuff, and Lois is not happy about Clark messing with her story. And because she really has no clue what's going on. I'm surprised Jimmy hasn't said anything to her about this. Well, Jimmy Slane, uh, this kid took a photo of uh, that appears to show Mr. Kent is Superman. Yeah, Jimmy is kind of staying close to Clark on this one. Lois yeah. hasn't been much, you know, she's been kind of kept at arm's length on this one. Good thing. It's not like we're not going to get another 50 episodes if I'm trying to figure out Clark is Superman. Exactly. I, I continue to love Clark's discomfort throughout the, throughout the entire episode. Yeah, so do I. I think he's actually concerned. Right. Until he, until, you know, towards the end where he finally zaps it. I think up until that moment, he was pretty concerned. And Burnside, then we finally see Bert in his hideout with his pal Slugger and Bill. And he said they're playing with flowers. I guess he likes tulips. And seems to be his thing. They're going to hold up the mail truck. I don't know if any of us are supposed to be surprised who the mailman is here. 
Yeah, he wasn't hiding it too well, even though he put on a little fake accent or something. Yeah, he was talking like he was from Brooklyn all of a sudden. Yeah, like Brooklyn or something, but but you skies or something. But right. And it was a little weird because then he just kind of stood there and posed, waiting for the other guy to hit him. This scene was a little awkward, I thought. Yeah. And even when he falls down and then they cut to the other guy shooting him three times and you see nothing but Clark just laying there in the male guy's uniform. Right. I don't know. It just seemed the whole scene a little awkward until he finally jumps up. From that point on, it was pretty cool. But right. It's always weird when Superman does these things. Right. You know, obviously, he's not going to sacrifice a mailman, you know, a real human postal worker. Right. So it makes sense for him to do this himself. Oh, I know who this actor is. He shows up in several Superman episodes again. There's well, we're definitely gonna we're definitely gonna see him again. Yeah, we see this guy a bunch, actually. Uh, yeah. Okay. Go ahead. Several color episodes too. He st- he hangs around for a while. Right. So we talked about whether or not this counts as a shirt rip. Well, yeah, I think it does. I it think does. it does. Technically, it does. it's not Clark changing into Superman, but, but he is taking off his disguise. Exactly. It counts. If this was a Donner movie, John Williams' music would have been playing as soon right. as he took the shirt off. So, And yeah. we find out they're duped and as the truck is filled with old newspapers. And Daily as, Planet newspapers. Of and, well, this is when Superman shows up. And Burnside is doing his thing. He's trying to make a deal. And Superman doesn't make deals. No. Especially when he's got heat vision and he can zap the only leverage the guy has against him. Right. Bzzz. He can say he's Superman, but he has no way to prove it. Right. The beautiful thing I like about this particular scene, well, there's several. It's the two of them going at each other that I I just think is terrific. This guy plays a great bad guy. He does. And George is just Superman. He's really large and in charge. But when he uses his supervision to, to zap the stuff in the safe, it shows you he, he has to use two different types of vision there. Right. So he has to use x-ray to look through whatever the safe is made of, steel, I assume, but then uses heat vision to just set on fire the film, but not all the money and some of the other stuff that's there. Yeah. How does he zap the stuff in the safe without zapping the door of the safe. See, there's my point. In the even comics, even even though he can't see the door to the safe, it's still there. Exactly. But you see, in the comics, they did that in the Silver Age all the time. Superman was able to use a combination of his supervision to do all kinds of things. There's a story where literally he looks at a from sitting at his Clark Kent desk, looks out into space using his telescopic vision at another planet. And then while using the telescopic vision, zooms in, uses microscopic and heat and x-ray vision in combination to do what he did here in this episode, set off an alarm on that planet to let the the authorities know there was a crime going on. Sitting, and now think about that, sitting at his desk, used nothing but vision powers to thwart a crime on another planet in real time. Why does he ever have to get out of bed in the morning? Well, in real time. Yeah. His vision powers are faster than the speed of light. He can see planets light years away in real time and then affect their world with his vision. Amazing. It is. So being able to look through a little steel safe and only set the film negative on fire while leaving all the other stuff there for evidence is uh, uh, 
piece of cake. We're going to go right back to the fact that Burnside was caught with a truck and, and charged with murder of uh, whoever's body wound up. Right. Whoever wound up dead when he uh, pulled out his insurance fraud scam. Right. So then the last little ditch effort here is. Uh, yeah, he's going to he continue to try to prove it by taking a shot at him. Yep. But, My last thing is I will prove Clark Kent is Superman. And Jimmy says, well, I'd like to see that. And like all bad guys, they all have ankle pistols, a right. little ankle holster down there. Drops his cigarette, pulls the gun, shoots Clark. This is the thing that always gets me in these moments. Uh, this has happened, oh God, I don't know how many times this happened over the course of the six years of this show, where somebody shoots Clark and he's able to get out of it some way. Right. This time it's because he has a silver dollar in his pocket. Okay, fine. I would almost believe that if you had flinched a little bit. Right, when yeah. And everybody else in the room flinched and did stuff. You stood absolutely still. And there's no way in hell a silver dollar is protecting you. Uh, it might if back in the 50s if it was a 22, a small caliber, small weapon fired at an angle. Pop. He would still feel the impact. Oh, absolutely. That's what I mean. He would have felt the impact. He would have been more than a bee sting. It would have hurt right. quite a bit. And it may have, actually. Uh, even if it had hit the silver dollar, it may have done some serious damage. But the fact that he just still stood there and didn't yeah. react to it at all, and then reaches in his pocket and bends the silver dollar and says, right, here, yeah. Jim. Here, here it is. Uh, yeah. 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 I'm not falling for that one. Yeah. But we, but we do get a, a nice look at George Reeves when because he knows he got away with one. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good show. It's a yeah, good it episode. I don't don't hate this one at all. No, I don't either. This this one was a lot of fun. Some really good moments and uh, a fairly satisfying end and uh, a shirt rip in action and one on a picture. So Yeah, so that's more than we'll get for the rest of the series. <laughs> now, were they doing shirt rips in the comics at that, at that time? Absolutely. Shirt rips go all the way back to Joe Schuster. Okay, good. We have a shirt rip probably in Superman number two. Or Action Comics number two or something. We've got shirt rips way early on, yeah. Okay, yeah. Although I always find the weird in a Batman comic when he does one. Well, they all do it now. All of them yeah. did it after Superman did it. They're probably in the Silver Age. I think there's shirt rips for all of them, except The Flash, because his came out of his ring, which was really right. cool. But everybody else pretty much, or The Atom, which was a costume that came out of something else. Right. But pretty much all the other ones had their costumes on underneath. All right, so I don't have anything more on this one. That'll do it. All right, for so a take, shot in the dark. All right, let's take a quick break. I'll play a promo, and then we'll come back with the defeat of Superman. Don't Hang mind a fight. Okay, and we're recording. You ready, Bizarro? Bizarro, I'm unready. Okay, let's do this. Hi, my name's Mario Benessi, and I host a show called Up, Up, and Away. And me and Bizarro, we protect city by destroying it. And we're here to tell you about a very special event coming to the Up, Up, and Away podcast this September. Bet I'm wrong, Mario. During the month of September, comic coverage will feature stories exclusively featuring Bizarro. Me and feel so hated. So be sure to check out the Up, Up, and Away podcast. We're available through Podomatic and iTunes, as well as through Facebook. You know listen to podcasts. It am terrible. You am going to hate it. Exclusively on Up, Up, and Away. Because it's about time I dedicated a month to one of my favorite Superman villains. Uh... No offense, Bizarro. Lots taken. So, welcome back, folks. 
They're going to move right ahead into The Defeat of Superman. The original broadcast date was October 19th, 1953. This episode was written by Jackson Gillis and directed by Tommy Carr. The guest cast includes Peter Mamakos as Happy King, Sid Tomac as Ruffles, and Maurice Cass as Professor Meldini. I believe we've seen Maurice Cass before. He was one of the shop owners, I think, in uh, The Broken Statues. You can break all of those dreadful little statues. So now for our synopsis, brought to you by supermanhomepage.com. Oh, I'm sorry. Clark! Oh, Lois, well, see you later. Oh, no, you don't. You were taking me to lunch today. There's plenty of time. It's only quarter of 12. I'll see you later. Uh, having lunch with you doesn't really matter, Mr. Kent, but knowing what you're up to does. <sighs> All right. Remember him? Happy King. Of course I do. Wrote as many stories on him as you did. It was years ago. Yeah, stories on everything but his arrest. So the police couldn't get anything on him, but Superman did. At least that's why he left the country. Mm-hmm. If he'd stuck around, Superman would have gotten him. Well, Clark, what's this all about? Crook's still in Europe, isn't he? No. But this is for... Yeah, I know. Mm. He came to me care of the paper for Superman. He wants to see him tomorrow at noon sharp. Have a little talk about settling our difficulties. Don't tell me he came back to make friends with Superman. <laughs> Clark, I just don't believe it. It's probably a joke or a fake. May even be a trap of some kind. Though I don't know how there could be a trap for Superman. That's why I am going to be there today at noon sharp. Why are you going? Oh, well, uh, I thought I might go there and look the ground over. This place is picked out. And if it's a hoax, I'll save Superman from going on a fool's errand. Uh, not if the noon part is important. Why? It's two minutes of. You're a little late. Bye. There, he only finds a Tommy gun in a room. It is set to fire on its own when Superman and bullets ricochet and Superman scratches his shoulder. As Clark Kent, Lois Lane, and Jimmy Olsen ponder King's failed booby trap and Clark continues to rub his shoulder, King's henchman Ruffles, who is disguised as a homeless man on a warehouse, takes the fired projectiles and film from a movie camera to Happy King and Professor Meldini, a scientist King brought with him from Europe. All right, all right, take a look for yourself. Thank you, Mr. King. But I already knew it anyway. I I could tell from the slug. See? See the difference. Yes. Here it is. I noticed something funny when I picked it up. It wasn't smashed like the others. More like it bounced off him. <laughs> yes. A thing has to give a little to, like you say, to bounce, eh? <laughs> oh, yeah. It shows. It shows here. Kryptonite. From the planet Krypton, where Superman was born, the only bullet he could feel contained elements of Kryptonite. <laughs> Amazing, isn't it? The Delphinian theory. It proves the Delphinian theory of reverse effects. Materials which would be harmless to him in their own environment when they are transposed to our Earth, they they have the reverse, the dangerous effect on him. Yeah, that's great. That's great. What do we do next? But but the theory that proves the theory, and that's the important thing. Superman is vulnerable to kryptonite. So, if we had enough pure kryptonite... Only we don't. You made that bullet out of the stuff from the meteor. And that's all there is of it. Uh, 
correction, please. That is all the pure kryptonite we have. But suppose I were to... to... <laughs> now Maldini is working on a synthetic version of the lethal element. The process has finished successfully. Here it is. Well, let's put it into the lead box. <laughs> it will not bite you. Gentlemen, I've assured you that to us, people of the Earth, the radiation of kryptonite is harmless. But it ain't shaped like a bullet. <laughs> Who needs bullets? Mr. King, I assure you, if any man from Krypton were to come as close to this... Well, go on, go on, go on. What if... Superman should, should touch it. <laughs> Before he could even come that close, he would go... Uh, <laughs> ah, but, but we must keep this at even temperature until just before Superman arrives. All that needs to be done is to test it on Superman himself. Happy King has sent a message to Superman in care of Clark Kent. He is to meet King at his house on the coast at 3420 Ocean Drive. Lois Lane and Jimmy Olsen have intercepted the letter before Clark can even read it, as he's out on the story. Lois promises to put the paper on Clark's desk, but she rips it up and throws it in Clark's wastebasket. Thinking they are going to scoop Clark, Lois and Jimmy leave the Daily Planet building, unaware they're walking into a trap. Lois and Jimmy have arrived at Happy King's home. I better hold this close to me, just so I won't try anything. All right, Superman, come in. Uh, Mr. King, I'm Lois Lane from the Daily Planet. Everyone knows you're here, but nobody's tried to get a plain, straight interview. Now, is there any reason why you'd object to being interviewed? Of course not. It's a pleasure. I have nothing to hide. You know, people always think I'm up to something. But really, I'm only here on a friendly visit. However, if you don't mind leaving, I'll see you in town later. Well, I'd like to get your story now, Mr. King. Uh, maybe later would be better, Miss Lane. Well, of course, if uh, you're busy. Uh, just a second. Boss, this dame is practically Superman's girlfriend. I am not. When I get through with Superman, he'll be nobody's boyfriend. Well, jump and double jump, eh? <laughs> you play a strange game of checkers, Mr. King. Unfortunately, they are now locked in the basement as bait for a trap for Superman. Well, do you think they can do it? You suppose that little hunk of metal could really kill Superman like they said? Of course not. Nothing can destroy Superman. But suppose it could kill him. Then Mr. Kemp finds that note, gets in touch with Superman. Jim, I've got news when for Superman you. When Superman comes here, if it could kill him... Jim, Superman won't be here. Huh? You'll hate me for this. I tore up that note. Hate you? I think it's wonderful. No, even if it is a trap, Superman won't fall into it. Golly. It doesn't look so good for us, does it? Meanwhile, Clark has pieced together King's message and is leaving to rescue his friends. I got your message, King, and... So that's it. No, Superman, stop! Wait, wait. They're, they're, they're both okay, honest. They'd better be. As soon as I'm sure they're safe, I'm coming back here and have a little talk with you two. Yes, of course we will, but you've made a terrible mistake. 
Miss Lane, Jim, come on. No, get out of here. Stay out of this house. What? What's that for? King must be crazy. He knows I can tear this house apart. Superman, listen to me. That other man up there is a scientist, and he's developed some sort of metal that... And what? Superman fell into the trap. Now it's my turn to jump. Drop the kryptonite down the chute. Miss Lane, there's no metal that can harm me. Well, that must be the metal they were talking about. They call it kryptonite. Well, I don't care what they call it. Did you say kryptonite? Yeah. Well, it couldn't hurt you just to touch it. It's heavy. No, see? Jimmy, get it out of here. Yeah, yeah. Superman. I'll get rid of it. He'll be all right. Well, Jimmy, get that thing out of here. I'll get rid of it. It'll be a lead pipe cinch. Hurry. He can hardly breathe. Jimmy, do something. Get rid of it. Jimmy and Lois try everything to get it away from him as King, Ruffles, and Meldini make their escape. I tell you that nobody will believe that we killed Superman, so we don't tell them. I know, checkers, just like checkers. Why don't you <laughs> shut up? That way I'll have Metropolis in my hand within a week. The other boys will be scared, but not me, see? Sure. Only what about the kid and that girl? Uh, they'll starve to death before they get out of that place. <laughs> Incidentally, we'll throw their car down there with them in it. After all, it's a rough road and accidents will happen. <laughs> you see, everything is perfect and checkers win out. Struggling to speak, Superman tells Jimmy about the lead pipes on the cellar's sink. This makes Jim understand that the box King had put the kryptonite in was also made of lead. With the kryptonite now safely inside the lead piece, Superman is back to his old self again. You're better. You're gonna be all right, Superman. Sure I am, Jimmy. Thanks, both of you. Don't worry, Miss Lane. The lead protects me from its radiations. I'm all right now, see? Oh, boy. Now get up there and take care of those guys. No, Jimmy, I'm going to let the police do that. I have something far more important to do. Kryptonite is the only thing in the world that can hurt me. Therefore, this sample is going to disappear forever. Superman has hurled the pipe containing the kryptonite into space. The flash of its movement into the air distracts Ruffles, causing him to not keep his eye on the road on which he is driving, Professor Maldini and Happy King. The car crashes, killing the villainous trio. News of this is in a Daily Planet article written by Lois. Well, Clark, I told you if I got half lead, I'd get the real story. Lois, I'm glad you got the story. And I'm glad you didn't write anything in it about the effect of kryptonite on Superman. That's one thing I'm never going to tell anybody. That's too dangerous a thing for anyone else to know, even if there isn't any more kryptonite in the world. Isn't it funny to think Superman actually has a weakness? It makes him seem almost human. For once, we had to save him. Yes, we're all pretty lucky, I guess. We? Now, don't tell me you're going to take credit for it. 
Oh, I'm not Lois. I'm definitely not. In fact, I'm not even human. So, what'd you think of this one? Oh, this is a good one. This is a really good one. I like this one a whole bunch, actually. Probably even more than I should, but this is a classic Superman story. Just your basic bad guys come up with an idea to defeat Superman. How do they get in there? You get Lois you and Jimmy, capture him. Uh, you get messages of Superman, hey, got your girlfriend. I am not. Yeah. <laughs> she actually says that. She hey. does. Hey, boss, this girl's practically Superman's girlfriend. I am not. So that that was kind of fun. I enjoyed that that little bit there because they don't really bring that up very often in the show itself of the relationship, no, you know, the actual relationship status of Superman and Lois. And anytime they've mentioned it once in the first season and now this, Lois Lane has denied it both times. Right. So, you know, only in her dream as later that's a black and white episode too isn't it yes which one uh where lois marries superman or in her dream that is a color episode you're right you're right you're right i just saw the image of him getting the flower (laughs) for her yeah okay you're right a color episode but anyway forgot where i was going this is a good episode the defeat of superman yeah this is a very good episode they play around with the idea early on this is one of the early you know kryptonite and they reuse this very chunk in another episode or two superman week uh superman week exactly and is that also the one where the other guy um is knocked out by kryptonite but is no vulnerable what is that episode called? that's the that's the deadly rock the deadly rock there you go in my in my mind i kind of consider that a sequel to panic in the sky yeah yeah because, me too. because they referred to a meteor that superman had trouble with Yes. So to yes. me, that always kind of called back to panic in the sky. Yeah, I think you're right about that, too. But anyway, so this is we have now a, a hunk of synthetic green kryptonite. Well, they don't say they never say green kryptonite. They just call it kryptonite. Well, and uh, I think it is interesting that in this series right now, the synthetic kryptonite created by this particular scientist affects Superman the same way as regular green kryptonite. Would. Now, later in Superman 3, of course, uh, when Richard Pryor adds nicotine or tar or whatever cigarette ingredient to make tar, his... I believe, yeah, tar, I believe it was. I think it was tar also. But that acted on him more like red kryptonite instead of green kryptonite. You know, Smallville also did it differently. And now we've seen in Supergirl how they've treated uh, kryptonite. Unfortunately, in modern times, red kryptonite seems to just be that thing that turns him evil instead of unpredictable effect for 48 hours. I wish they'd go back to that. For 24 to 48 hours, it just has some weird, unpredictable effect on him instead of just, oh, red kryptonite just turns him into an ass. Which is basically what it did in Smallville. That's what they did in Smallville. Yeah, exactly. Lois and Clark handled red kryptonite okay. Well, the nice thing about it was that it, they they only used it like three or maybe four times, mm-hmm. but it never affected in the same way twice. Good. See, that's but, the way it should be. It the way that affected and the ways that affected him were kind of stupid sometimes. Well, of course, but that's kind but, of red kryptonite can almost be a mixtus pitalic episode. Right, but they were smart enough that they never it never did it the same way twice. Right. Anytime, uh, anytime Smallville wanted Clark to act like a prick, they uh, they, they exposed him to red kryptonite. Right. 
So anyway, I like this episode for that very reason. We now have we have given Superman a weakness in the series. And right. not bad. It's fairly early on. And if we keep in mind to a lot of the people now working in this series now who have come on board, this basically, they're almost considering this season one. Right. The actual season one. Uh, they, at the time, considered it an entity unto itself. Right. And this was not a continuation of that. From this point on, this is a whole different ballgame. This is right. all the all but one of the actors is the same. We have a couple of recurring bad guy actors, but right, not but they, many. They're just actors. They're not returning as the same characters. Exactly. So the people in charge now with this show at the time considered this a whole new ballgame. And really thought of this as the first season for the for the rest of the series. And there were DC Comics people involved with the show. Absolutely. Mort Weisinger was a story editor on this show. Yes. Yes. So that's why you will also see some of these episodes will be stories that happened both on the radio show and in the comic books. Um one of the episodes we're going to talk about a little later goes for Scotland Yard. Well, I'll save that for that. But but yeah, a lot of that that kind of stuff happens. So I, I guess kind of to finish up here with, with uh, the defeat of Superman, I love the fact that we now have Kryptonite. Right. And the way they handled it, I thought was done really well. That, well, it couldn't hurt just to touch it. And Jimmy picks it up, walks over, and George Reeves just fall. Hits, boom, right. down. This was comic book green Kryptonite at its best. The closer... And the longer, the more deadly. we got to get it away or put it in lead. Right. And I just really enjoyed this whole episode here. Uh, Lois, you know, as a kid, particularly when you watch this particular episode, you can feel the pain of George. The, the actors, and that's one thing throughout the entire series, all the way to the very end, no right. matter how ridiculous some of these episodes got, the actors gave it their all. They were in it. They gave 100% to every scene they were in. And this this episode is uh, a good example of that. There was some great acting in this episode. There really was. And especially on the bad. part of especially on the part of Noel Neal and Jack Larson. Absolutely. And this whole scene when you when you the the main last scene of them with Superman George Reeves laying on the floor, right. them trying to get rid of that kryptonite. There's real panic in her voice. There is real sadness, real angst and anguish. Uh, a little bit hokey at one point when she puts her head on his chest. It, she right. kind of was got a little hokey there a bit. But I think they were both right into this scene, and Jack looked like he was really trying to get rid of that right. hunk of metal and couldn't do it. Bravo, guys. They did a good job with this one. They did. I really like the scene where Lois tells him that he tells Jimmy that she tore up the note. Yeah. And how happy he was that Superman is not going to fall into the trap. <laughs> you know, Lo you look at Lois, she knows what's going on. And Jimmy's like, oh, yeah. <laughs> not so good for us. No. I, I think another a really great scene, too, is towards the end right here when when Superman is back. They get it. The kryptonite's in the lead cinch, the lead pipe cinch <laughs> they get the the kryptonite in the lead pipe and that's true most sinks most piping back in the day was lead right good thing we're getting rid of most of that all of right. that that's bad lead bad lead good over here lead bad over there yeah but when uh, superman grabs that pipe and they walk out front and then he swings that and throws that sucker 
that's a really athletic, nice athletic pose there that George is actually doing something. It all and it felt like the the pipe. It looked like the pipe had weight to it. Yeah. I really enjoyed that scene and he's stretched out. The cape looks good. He looks good, even with the tear on the right side of the S shield. But at least the sweat stain wasn't there like it was in the shot in the dark. So this episode starts with a nice shot of L.A. Did you notice that? Nice shot of the L.A. freeway there. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Lois starts this episode by doing what she does best, not letting Clark out of her sight. And apparently he was supposed to take her to lunch today. And she doesn't really want to have lunch with Clark, but she wants to keep an eye on him. So what did you think of? So then we meet Happy King. So what did you think of this guy? Oh, Happy King is Happy King. He's a generic bad guy. Right. He, he was fine. He was fine. Not not great. Not bad. I like right. the I like the professor and the whole all oh, you Americans and your yeah. checkers. You you Americans, you never make sense. You send a message. You say noon tomorrow, and yet you it's expect- like playing a game of checkers. See, I said tomorrow, so Superman figures he'll jump me. He'll go there and look around today. What do I do? Today I'm ready with a double jump. Today the trap is set. Pretty smart, huh? Hmm. Well, I I would rather play gin rummy. Well, yeah, I I thought of that during the course of the episode. He kept saying checker. Shouldn't he be thinking about chess? Well, yeah, but his brain's not big enough to handle chess. So, right, I guess. you know, checkers is... Uh, an easier game. I'm not saying, ladies and gentlemen out there, if you happen to love checkers and be a professional checker player, that there's not strategy. Yes, there's an incredible amount of strategy in checkers. Checkers is a very good strategy game, but it is not chess. All right. So apparently we learned from the conversation between Lois and Clark here that Superman has obviously been operating for years. Yes. Which is fine. There's nothing to say that he hasn't been. And also interesting timing in this episode a little bit. This scene only takes about a minute. Yeah, 13 minutes have passed while they're talking. Right. There was a lot of, one of my notes on this is talky-talky. Yeah. Lots of talky-talky in this one. Just scenes where that's all they're doing is talking. Right. Lois and Clark took about, talked for about a minute on the screen, but 13 minutes passed in the episode because she mentioned that uh, it was a quarter to two and then it was two minutes of. Yeah, that didn't, yeah, they, oh, I see what you're saying. They talk for, uh, in reality, they talk for a minute and a half, but. And in their story time, 13 minutes elapsed during that little conversation. Right. This is where Lois misses misses out on something here. Yeah, just don't turn around there, sweetheart. You know, she watches him run up the alley. She kind of laughs it off and then goes into the building. I'm not sure she sees him in the alley. I don't know. We don't really know how far away that alley is. Maybe it's even on the same side of the sidewalk that she's on. So he turned down the alley and she wouldn't have seen him wherever. But had she waited, she may have seen Superman fly out of that alley. Right. The way it's cut, it makes it seem like it's across the street. Yeah. Yeah. Or something because it's down into the right. It looks like he's actually going down and then turns to his right instead of his left. So he should have, yes, because he left her going to his left. She's looking to her left down the street. But then when they cut to him going into the alley, he's going into the alley, making basically a right-hand turn as he goes into the alley and then comes out of the alley and continues. All right. So after this scene, we go and we meet up with uh, Happy King. And this is where we meet both him and the professor. Happy King is basically trying to get the jump on superman so to speak he tells superman to come to the house tomorrow 
So he Superman goes today. He's expecting Superman to go today. It's all very interesting. Very interesting. Uh, little mind games. Yeah, little mind game between the two of them. I love. I really like the next scene here when Superman shows up at that at the meeting place. Right. We see the homeless guy afterwards. Right. He goes in. The guns shoot at him, and you see that one of them looks like it dings him a little bit because he he goes to feel for his shoulder right away. Right away. Yeah. George played this scene really well too. I thought he, he did. Bullets bouncing off of him. One of them stings him. He goes up, slaps the camera, and then goes back and talks to. Uh, the quote-unquote homeless guy. Right, Ruffles. This is where Ruffles goes in, and we find out that he's, there was a camera watching Superman, and he scoops up the bullets and the film. And that's a fun scene of him on the floor picking all those up. I like the sounds, yeah. too. All the sound that it makes, that kind of, I don't know, just him scraping those bullets and stuff. I always liked the way it sounded. Yeah, good scene. And then comparing, and then they go back and show, you know, the professor knows. Yep. He knows. Bullet 14 was the special one, and that was laced with the kryptonite. And apparently, and the scientist kind of makes the leap that Superman was born on Krypton. How anybody knows all this, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe he knows about the once extinct planet or the extinct planet Krypton. Maybe what they didn't tell us, or they could have added a line that, because when he said number 14, I always assumed that all of the bullets were made with different metals. Right. It wasn't like there was like 100 regular bullets and number 14 was the kryptonite bullet. I think there was probably uranium and silver and other metals. There's just all kinds of different metals. And one of them happened to be from the, the meteor or the kryptonite meteor. And um, I mean, that's the way I always looked at yeah. it. Yeah. And... And I'm, and this is where uh, Ruffles makes a reference that the little bit of kryptonite they had was from a meteor. But, you know, it doesn't have to refer to the panic in the sky meteor. meteor. There have been plenty of meteors that have crashed down and brought kryptonite over Superman's oh, yeah. Yeah. on-screen and publishing history. I don't think they no. were referring to panic in the sky at all. Or No, I don't think so either. That. No, it's just a meteor that fell. We're going to Addis Ababa, Mr. Luthor? <laughs> so we, the professor immediately starts doing his chemistry experiment. As he is going to make some synthetic kryptonite, not unsimilar to what Luthor did in the Superman serials when he created something synthetic kryptonite. Right. And the alarm goes off and the professor celebrates before really checking anything. You know, you would think he would uh, he would have checked on what was going on before he celebrated his success. And this professor loves to clap and rub his hands together. Yes, he does. He's very animated. He's a very animated professor. Very animated. And he does that a lot with his hands rubbing and clapping. Not like applauding, but just, uh, no. you know, a clap of satisfaction. Right. And success. And he and he, he go, pulls out a little oven. Uh, well, it looks like a brick of cheese, but it's actually kryptonite. And uh, despite Happy's concerns about radiation, because we were very concerned about radiation in the 50s. The scientist assures them that it's safe for humans, but knows it will kill Superman. So now the note is addressed to Clark, and Jimmy suggests that it could be a trap, but Lois is convinced that nothing can hurt Superman. So Happy King walks around a little bit, a little pensively, again, says that he's playing checkers with Superman. And he still doesn't trust the metal. He still feels maybe it'll hurt me too. Right. Well, I don't think he's completely convinced that it'll hurt Superman either. Right. And there is a knock at the door, and they're expecting Superman. But it's actually Lois and Jimmy. And 
I guess he's kind of convinced that that killing Superman will give him some credibility in the underworld. And I love the professor's continued sarcasm with King. He's just sitting there making fun of this guy. Yeah, and I think a lot of his stuff, because of the way it's edited and put in there, it almost looks like they they had him sit in this chair and read those lines. Okay, now right. stand over here and read this line. And they just edited them in. I don't think in several of his scenes he was even in the same room with these other guys. Right. He may, he may not have been. Particularly another one you'll see coming up and when he's just kind of standing against the wall, almost by himself. Everything looks different. The lighting looks different. It's just kind of weird just jumped in there so clark now goes back to his desk and he's looking for the note that he was told was on his desk but he finds it and he uses uh his new uh rearranging the paper vision and i'm not sure which superpower this is but it, but it works for the plot works for the plot and and uh, we don't really know if he literally moves them all around or he's using a form of x-ray vision to look through all the pieces and then reassemble them in his mind. Right. It's just a visualization so we can see what he right. what what he's learning. Right. I don't think he literally used his vision to put the torn note back together. So, back to Lois and Jimmy who are locked in the basement and in some serious trouble and you know, I kind of got to give a little bit of a shout out to the music here because the music is kind of helping evoking that hopeless feeling that they're having. Right. The music so far in this season has been very, has been very good. Yeah, back, I agree. I agree. Go back, back to Jet Ace, which I talked about last week, when uh, during that scene where, what's his name is, uh, Martin is setting the cabin on fire with Perry's nephew in it, the music is very mournful. Yeah, that's a good scene, actually, too. So... But yeah, again, as part of the reboot here for this season, again, they're starting over. So they had some new flying scenes, new orchestra, new soundtrack. It's a whole new ball game here. Yes, it yes it is. But they did keep what made the show good. <laughs> George Reeves. Yes. <laughs> so so this is the scene I mentioned before where Jimmy was a little bit slow and realizes that uh, they're doomed. And, you know, they both kind of look at each other as they're kind of about to cry. Mm-hmm. And why wouldn't they in that situation? Right. I made sure to notice that after he put the piece of paper back together, Clark took his hat to the storeroom with him. And Jimmy is still trying to get out, but he's taking some solace in super, and that Superman will be safe. And and he's got to be careful how he hits that door so that it doesn't knock the breakable door that Superman has to break open later. Right. And which Superman has to be careful how he hits it. <laughs> right. Chance, Jim. Hit solid steel. Yeah, I guess you're right. Well, anyway, Superman's safe. And that's the important thing. Well, isn't it? Yes, uh, of course it is. I love this scene between Jimmy and Lois. Who is, Lois is still feeling all kinds of guilty here. She feels awful knowing what she's done, not only to herself, but to Jimmy. Right. But, of course... Guess who's on his way? And I believe this is the first time that we see Superman fly past the buildings in this particular shot. Mm-hmm. This is this is the one that we'll see many times throughout this season. Right. I believe this is the first time we're seeing that. So in this so, series for this season? Yeah, I believe this is the first time we mm-hmm. see that shot. Interesting. So Superman barges in and to upstairs and he gets very angry when he finds Lois and uh, Jimmy in the basement. Uses his x-ray vision. He does. So Superman marches down there. 
Superman is feeling some more of a confidence here. Right. Well, right. he's Superman. And up to this point, nothing has hurt him. Right. Why would he think? He's looked around. He knows there's a bunch of just a, those guys are thugs. They got nothing. What are you talking about? Right. So he goes right down. They're trying to tell him what's going on, but he's kind of just standing there talking. You know, in the time they were saying they're trying to explain, he could have flown them both out of there, but he doesn't do this. They lock him in. And this is where it gets kind of kind of weird a little bit because Jimmy says kryptonite. Right. Superman says, well, I don't care what he calls it. Right. It didn't quite sink in. It seems like he knows when he comes back and he realizes it. You would think just hearing the word kryptonite would have raised a red flag in his mind. Well, it hasn't been mentioned at all yet, anywhere, at ever. Does he even know such thing exists? That's what trips me up a little bit. Because then he comes back and he says, did you say kryptonite? Did you say kryptonite? As if he knows what kryptonite is. As if is. he knows what it is. Right, right. Which... Or maybe he's just re- responding to the word Krypton in that. I agree. It's a little thing because nowhere up to this point in the series has Kryptonite been mentioned. No. Or neither, and neither is there any indication that he knows where he's from. Exactly. So, well, now. There hasn't been an indication on the show that he knows where he's from. He might. Right. I mean, they even kind of skirted around that in the Kirk Allen serials, too, where he kind of says, that, oh, I always suspected I was from Krypton. Right. How? I don't know. I don't know. I guess maybe in DC world, everybody knows about Krypton's exploding. You know, there are some versions of it that Kryptonite was, I mean, Kryptonite, Krypton was actually just over there. Right. (laughs) You know, it wasn't all that far away. So, you know, depending on some versions, obviously the more uh, humans learn, they have to update their comics and add more, you know, real world stuff. Right. And what's the... Knowledge of space and stuff like that isn't as... Right. I mean, I was watching some fun stuff the other day. Dave McIlvaney, I know he's... You're probably listening, Dave. Maybe when you were a kid, you might remember there was a show, an animated show called Space Angel. And loved that show. Uh, You'll be more familiar, maybe, if I say Clutch Cargo. It was the technique used in Clutch Cargo, where it was basically a still-drawn, it almost looked like a panel of a comic book, but they had human mouths moving for whoever was talking. Later, Conan O'Brien used it as a bit, and he even called it his Clutch Cargo bit. But Space Angel, I was watching that recently and thought, wow, this is such a really good show still holds up because of the writing is so, so good. But even then, and that was like 1961, 62, maybe they were getting some of the science wrong about the moon, stuff they should have known that we did know then should not have been that screwy in the science fiction because at a certain point you know these things there was a a show called men into space in the late 50s early 60s tv show might have even been produced by disney i'm not sure but you know several times they have the moon rotating as if what what we can see we never see the backside of the moon what are you talking about so anyway Little things like that. So when you're a kid in the Superman show, you just try not to ask too many questions. But I think at this right. point, Superman kind of did a, a, a double take and as if he knows what kryptonite right. is. So obviously, Jimmy says, well, it couldn't hurt to touch it. And Superman goes down like a stack of onions. Yeah, a nice fall. George does a really nice fall there. And despite the dire circumstances, there is some great physical physical comedy here. As Jimmy is trying to throw the kryptonite back up the chute. Right. And it keeps coming back at, back at him. But nice then photography. It, I think some real nice camera work as they make the room 
feel larger with a ceiling when obviously it's a sound set there's no ceiling there but they right. give you the impression of it being a really tall ceiling and you actually get an impression that one the metal is heavy right. and jack does a great job throwing that thing around trying to break it out of the window right and some really nice camera work here and then of course when he throws tries to get it out the window he gets it gets stuck on a shelf of course Instead of helping Lois up, she helps him, him up. Yeah, that was <laughs> yeah. funny. But there was no ledge there. He, you know, only he could have done it. And he right. really didn't need her help, but it uh, looked better for the scene. I think he needed a little bit. He needed a little more height. A little bit, maybe. But there was a little ledge there once he got up. Then he stood on it and she kind of held his leg on it. Right. But uh, still a funny scene, good scene. Not funny, funny, haha, but right. only when you look back at it. And that's one of those scenes that. Uh, try to not watch with your kid eyes right as we were talking in an email earlier but turn the sound down and just watch them move around the scene in the set and you'll see him hitting marks and how he's trying to do this and turn it's right. very good stuff but good good stuff and i'm saying that in a very good way not ironic it's good they're doing a good good job with this set and this scene because it's just these three people inside this room and they're Definitely making you believe that that little hunk of metal is killing Superman right. and they can't get rid of it. So at some point, Superman points to the pipe. Well, at first they try the sink and it's rather amusing seeing Lois try to shove that thing down the drain by hammering at it with her shoe. <laughs> with her high heel shoe, right. <laughs> Which didn't work because it was too big. Then Superman kind of comes too long enough to give them the answer. And that's when Jimmy realized, oh, yeah, they kept them in the lead box. Yeah. And that was a very soft lead pipe. Yes, it was. But as we know, lead is a soft metal. And the one thing that can keep the kryptonite radiation away from Superman. It wasn't soft enough, though, that Lois could bend it. But Jimmy was Jimmy was able to do it. Right. Well, she had spike shoes on. That little spike yeah. wasn't going to close anything. No. But, uh, so. Yeah, good job. I love this scene. And then once that happens, and this is just such a really, really good little bit here when, you know, he's back. Right, yeah, and he jumps right up. He There's, jumps right up, hits his it, chest, and boom, out the door. Right. There's no laying around for a minute while he mm, comes, comes to. Right. He's he's up and at him. Takes, Takes the, the pipe. Yeah, good, 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 good. So, do you get the impression that this is kind of happening at night? Absolutely. Okay, so Superman throws the pipe and it lands out to sea. Yes. And it distracts Ruffles. So much that he, that he drives over a cliff. Yeah, well, I got the feeling, since they didn't show us, now they just told us and described it, I, in my little brain, got the feeling I could see the panel and then the cut to the thing streaking across the sky, leaving, you know, a tail behind it as friction from the air just makes it glow red. Kind of like a shooting star? Like a shooting star, and which goes into the lake or whatever it is there where he threw it. I don't think it was the ocean. I think it was a lake, bottom of... Yeah, it goes It goes to, into some kind of water. Right. Out to sea or whatever. Out to sea. Whatever. But I think I know where you're going with the day or night, because, yes, they give very definitely the impression when Superman, Lois, and Jimmy come out of the house, and he says, stand back, and throws the pipe, and then they cut to the three guys in the car. It's nighttime. You get a very... You get a, but when they go off the cliff, I think one of those cut scenes of the stock footage of the car falling down the cliff or whatever is a daytime scene. Am I well, wrong about that? I don't think so. You're limited by what stock footage is available to you. Right. Yeah. So I think it did go from night to day back to night 
so. uh, quickly. But uh, you know, sometimes in black and white, it's hard to tell. It is. It is, and especially when they're mixing in some stock footage and and some other things. And of course, now watching it again, you know, watching it on a forty inch high def screen instead of a thirteen inch black and white. Or maybe even, I think when I first saw it, I was probably the small, we had that little small console in the living room, and it was uh, it was no more than 10 inches. Couldn't have been, it was no more than a 10-inch black and white right. set. So anyway. Well, either way, they go to their destiny, and they take their secret with them. And they take it with them, of course. But and, even well, so, you can't blame this death on Superman. Can or cannot. You cannot. cannot. You, cannot you cannot blame, blame this one on Superman. You cannot blame him uh, for this one. Uh, I agree. You cannot. If anybody, you blame Happy. He's the one that grabbed the wheel and turned it sharp. Right. This is more of kind of a happy coincidence. No pun intended. <laughs> but they killed the little weird professor who was more interested in proving the Delphinian theory. It proves the Delphinian theorem. It proves <laughs> the Delphinian theorem of opposite effect. I forgot what the thing was, but he actually said it. And I thought, oh, that's funny. That's pretty funny. So environment affects you in a different way when you take it out of your natural environment. Right. Sounds logical to me. It does. So back at the planet, Lois has an attack of conscience, and she does not publicize the information about kryptonite. Which seems to run contrary to the comics when everybody and their brother knows what Kryptonite can do to Superman. And Jimmy vows that he'll never tell anyone about Kryptonite. Until well, the next episode. No. <laughs> until season three in Superman week. Right. He, he'll never tell anyone else again until he does. Until he does. But in Jimmy's defense, he will be hopped up on, on truth drug. That's true. That's true. And he has blue hair. <laughs> <laughs> and Clark gets the ending joke yeah. about he tells... I believe it's Lois that he he may not even be human. Yeah, it's an odd joke there, but it's George winking at the camera, and we can't go wrong with that. No, nope. can't go wrong with a George wink. Nope. So I think we pretty much covered this one. I think we did. So why don't you tell the uh, good listeners where they can find you? Superman Forever Radio at supermanforever.com. I do a Superman podcast did you know i did a superman podcast you mean other than this one yeah other than this one <laughs> i do a superman podcast and i talk about whatever uh, is in my own little pee picking brain i ran a little behind had a little bit of an illness because it delayed my uh doing the summer my 60th super summer spectacular celebration or something like that basically i'm talking stuff that some of my favorite superman stories of all time or firsts so uh so far i've talked about a couple of stories that uh, were the first superman stories i ever read out of the trunk in mantio and i've talked about some of my favorite stories lois lane superwoman from krypton some fun stuff just jumping back but that's the whole point of my superman show is unlike all the hard work you do doing an index show and keeping on track and putting them out all i talk about superman you know whatever i want to say whenever i want to do it it's fun <laughs> <laughs> oh oh i'm also doing giant superman podcasts with john m wilson where we take a look at the silver age of superman comics through those great 25 cent giant annuals and as you mentioned before, I think we went on the air, we were talking about some of those that some of those stories are brilliant. You know exactly why they're there. Other ones, you have to scratch your head and go, why would you reprint that? 
<laughs> so a little of this and a little of that. But we're having some fun over there. John and I are having some fun doing that. So supermanforever.com and Giant Superman Podcast are the two main ones. All right. And you can find me. The homepage for this show is Man of manofscreen.podomatic.com. You can find me hanging around in the Facebook group for the show. You can find that by searching for the Man of Screen podcast, and that'll come right up. You can send me email like Dave McElvaney does. I highly encourage others to do so as well. Email address is manofscreen at gmail.com. And you can also leave a review for the show on iTunes and Stitcher. You can, you can do that. So next time, I'm going to – Bob will be back, and we'll be covering – Superman in Exile, where we're going to meet uh, a Superman that glows in the dark. And then we're going to go across the pond to check out a ghost for Scotland Yard. So, for Bob Fisher, this is Mike Zumo. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll see you next time. Don't miss the next thrill-packed episode in the amazing Man of Screen podcast. The Man of Screen podcast is produced by Mike Zumo all opinions on the show are those of Mike Zemo and his guests and no one else. All music is in sound clips used in the making of the show are for review purposes only and no copyright infringement is intended. All trademarks are copyright their original copyright holders. The Man of Screen Podcast is a member of the Superman Podcast Network and can be found at www.supermanpodcastnetwork.com. The homepage for the show is manofscreen.podomatic.com and you can email the show at Man of Screen at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.